So get Luke chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 11. Luke chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 11. I also want to mention at the end of the service, I know everybody's tapped out from Christmas, so no pressure, but we're going to take a love offering for Brandon and Emily and the family, and they can't come through here without getting some help, amen? So we're going to take a love offering for them at the end of the service. Luke chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days. It came to pass in those days. Lord, please help us as we study your word today. Lord, help us to get a good doctrinal understanding of your word. And Father, I pray that it will be a help to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that every word of God is pure. The Bible, there are principles that we emphasize as we study God's word. There's a principle of measured words. What is the principle of measured words? The Bible says in the Gospel of John that if all the works of that Jesus did were done, then I suppose were written down, then I suppose the books of the world could not contain them. And that that's not hyperbole. That's not poetic speech, as we've seen many times from Psalm 139. The Bible says, well, let's just look at it. Psalm 139. Hold your place in these other places if you have enough fingers. Look at Psalm 139. Verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't think we understand the significance of that verse. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and my and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being my substance, my substance, yet being unperfect. That means not mature. And in thy book all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. My substance was fashioned by what was written in his book. It took a couple of thousand years for science to catch up with that. And then they found out that every one of your cells is made up of a four billion letter word. We're made in his likeness and his image. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is the word. And what are we made up of? A word. And if you wrote it all down, the books of the world couldn't contain it. So when we start studying the Bible and we, we take it seriously. So we do believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. Verbal, the words plenary, that is all of them. We believe that the very words and all of the words were inspired, and that principle of measured words, it tells us this, there are no extra words. Every word is necessary. Every word is required. Every word is important, and every word is full of truth. Not only that, it's full of life. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Wow. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the Bible is vital to us, and especially in times like this. You know, everyone who watched A Charlie Brown Christmas heard Luke chapter 2. And people enjoy stories. Right now, there's a movement in in, uh, popular culture on the more conservative side and really influenced by Jordan Peterson, who loves myth. And he loves to teach about the Bible. And he, he talks about the power of myth. And so we Christians, we love it when anyone talks about the Bible, right? We, we, we're just thankful that, that the Bible is being spoken of in broader culture. But this is not a myth. This is, this is historical. It happened, but not only did it happen, it's also a picture of what will happen. And so my message today is in those days, in those days. What, what will we learn from that phrase in those days throughout this passage? Well, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but you might want to make a note. You could even write a cross-reference in your Bible right here to Matthew 24, 29. Matthew 24, 29. Now, let me just say this. Your pastor is a terrible planner. I have terrible timing. I chose to announce and preach a doctrinal sermon that will require you to think not only on New Year's Day, but on a New Year's Day following a late something happened. I don't know what happened last night. I try to forget it. It's blocked from my memory. Sabrina, an Alabama fan, was happy to make fun of us. And I just asked her, how did Alabama do in the playoffs this year? But anyway, let's get back to spiritual things. So let me read to you Matthew chapter 24, 29. Jesus Christ speaking. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So what's going to happen is everything's going to change. Everything is going to change. When? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. So when you see those two words, those days, always look for something to do with the tribulation period. What is the tribulation period? It's the period of time, the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year period where in the middle of the week of years, there's something that takes place. It's There's going to be the Antichrist is going to set up an image in the new temple that's that's rebuilt in Jerusalem, and he's going to defile the Holy of Holies. The holiest of all is what the Bible calls it. He's going to defile that by setting up his own image in that place. That's what identifies the difference between the tribulation and the great tribulation. Jesus in Matthew 24 says, then shall be tribulation such as was not from the beginning of the world. So it's going to be the, the, the great tribulation is what's going to take place. So this is a seven-year period where God works. He he judges the whole earth, but he's primarily bringing Israel back to himself. That's the point of the tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. So what can we learn about that? 
Anytime you see those two words, or those three words, in those days, in those days, look for a connection to the tribulation. Let's see if that works in this passage. Now, don't forget about how we study the Bible here. If you've gone to a church where the preacher will make reference to a verse, close the Bible, and then talk to you about seven ways on how to stop biting your fingernails or something like that, how to be happy, whatever, that's not the kind of church Grace Baptist is. We're going we're gonna to look at every word of the Bible and take them seriously. When we study the Bible, how do we interpret the Bible? Do we use commentaries? Do, do we use other tools? Well, sure, definitely. I, I love to look at what, how God has worked through men in the past to help explain the Bible. That's fine, but that's not our authority. The authority is the Bible. We're not going to take the time to look up all of the verses, but, but our principle for this is John 6, 63. Jesus said, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words are spirit. The words are spirit. Okay, don't, don't mess, miss that. And then in 1 Corinthians, it says we understand the things of God by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So if we believe every word and we allow God to explain things to us. I was in a kind of in a debate. We were on the Baptist history tour. I was in a debate with another pastor, and he didn't listen to what I was saying, so he didn't understand what I was saying. And I, I just said, if you listen to my words, you'll understand what I'm saying. And he said that to me every time I ever saw him again after that. He just thought it was hilarious that I said that to him. But if you, if you listen to the words of God, then you will understand what he is saying. It's that simple. And this is why we as King James Bible people, we emphasize the words so much, way more than any other type of church that you'll go to because they'll all have different Bibles. They don't have the same words. So it's very difficult to study the Bible the way we study it. Now, now don't, don't miss this. Okay, here's a parenthesis in my message. Very important that you get this. We believe that the Bible teaches that very soon the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, something about the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We believe that, that that's going to happen. That's the, the world doesn't see Jesus at that point. We see him. And we're changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The Bible says that it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You can't look at people and know by the way they look whether they're saved or not. You will then. Right? Right now... The whole earth groans waiting for the adoption to wit, which is the redemption of the body. When we're taken out and we're changed and made to have a body like Jesus Christ's body, that's going to happen. You might be here saying, that's really weird. It is, but it's Bible weird. That's what's coming. That's what's going to happen. Amen? And then for seven years... Jesus Christ is going to begin taking his creation back. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We have a, we have a world that, does no, that no longer 
wants to acknowledge who God is, and they worship the creature rather than the creator. And so what does God do? Jesus comes back, takes the, takes the Christians out, and starts destroying all the green grass, a third of the trees, a third of the water. And, and by the time he returns, the Bible says that the, the refreshing that comes from the Lord, the restitution of all things, the healing of the land. Why? Because it's been destroyed. That's what's coming. That's what the tribulation is. The theme of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is coming back to sit on his throne and receive the glory that's due his name. We're going to find out if anything that I just talked about is in our text. In the Christmas story? In Luke chapter 2? Let's look at it. If we believe every word, we'll start to see and notice some things. Daniel chapter 2, sorry, Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days. How many of you noticed that when we read it last week? That there went out a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. Now, what is repetition in the Bible? Now, some of you, you're still asleep. What is repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. God emphasizes things in his word through repetition. Now, let's read a few verses, and let's see if there's anything that's repeated that we've probably not noticed before. Because we read this as a story, we don't read it doctrinally. Let's see what happens when we read it doctrinally. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Did anybody notice anything that's repeated there? Tax. Tax. How many of you would rather not think about taxes at Christmas time? It's the key to the story. It's the most repeated thing in the story. So, What's going to happen in those days? Let's look Look at verse 1 again. And it came to pass in those days. See, this is how we know this was going to happen in those days. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that who should be taxed? Oh, all the world. How is it going to happen? that the whole world will be taxed. Well, you have to have a one-world economic system. How do you do that? You have to destroy the one hegemonic economic system of the world. You do that by creating more debt than can possibly be paid off. And then you raise the interest rates to a place where that debt cannot be paid. 
See, we have something like $32 trillion in national debt. We just added $1.7 trillion. These are numbers that, that, that people like us, unless you're a math nerd, you know, where's Matt Hickman at? Unless you're a math nerd, the, the tie, we, we can't, it's hard for us to comprehend how much money that is. And so what's going to happen is you have globalist leaders. Do you remember a few years ago when somebody talked about globalists? You, you, know, you thought you were tinfoil hat people. And now all of a sudden you're finding out that that's everybody. So you have globalist Republicans and globalist Democrats, spend, you know, Mitch McConnell, spending so much money that there's no possible way to ever pay it back. What's this leading to? A one-world economy. Whether the dollar ever actually goes away, however currency is exchanged, that it could be a cryptocurrency, it could be anything, however currency is exchanged, it will now become a global medium, which can then be globally taxed. Okay, that's great. That's great, Jim. That, that's, that's wonderful. What does that have anything to do with it? Okay, Luke chapter 11. Let's see if God said anything about this. Now, remember, what is repetition? Yeah, what did I say? Daniel 11, sorry. Daniel 11. Follow what I'm thinking, not what I say. Daniel chapter 11. Look at verse 20. So, now this is talking about the Antichrist and leading up to the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? Okay, hold your place there. Look up at me. The Antichrist is a one-world leader. This is a person that will stand up and the whole world will come to him. He'll conquer the world through peace, not through war. He'll conquer the world by promising prosperity. And he is the one who sets up the image in the temple. He is the one who is the person. He is, he is a person who is physically indwelt by Satan, the Antichrist. And the whole world will worship him. Look at who leads up to the Antichrist. Look at what he does. Verse 20. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 20. Then shall stand up in his estate a raiser of taxes in the glory of the kingdom. But within few days he shall be destroyed. Look at neither in anger nor in battle. Go with me to, you, you don't have to go back to Daniel, but go with me to Revelation chapter 2. Sorry, it's Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Remember the four horsemen? I saw a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. He has a bow, but no arrows. So he has power, but he conquers through peace. 
And that's what this one world leader does. Because of the, the one who raises the taxes, because of a great economic collapse, this next person comes in and conquers the world through peace. But he doesn't keep the world from the economic collapse. We're not going to go into it, but pretty soon you, you, you can't make enough money to pay for food because of the inflation that takes place because of the raising of taxes. Folks, it's all in the Bible. So go back to Luke chapter 2. What do we have? Notice the picture. When Christ came the first time, a Roman dictator was in charge, Caesar Augustus. And he said that all the world should be taxed. What happens when Christ returns the second time? There is the revived Roman Empire. I don't have the time to go all the way through Daniel chapter 2 and the image, the head of gold, the, the arms and, and breastplate of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, the two legs of iron, and the feet made of iron mixed with clay. The, 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 the first kingdom, the kingdom of gold, was overthrown by the kingdom of, of silver. The kingdom of silver is overthrown by the kingdom of brass. The kingdom of grass is overthrown by the kingdom of iron. But the kingdom of iron has never been overthrown. There's never been a worldwide kingdom that has replaced Rome. It hasn't happened. And so this is where, from the, somewhere within that original Roman Empire, which was all of Europe and Asia, that whole area, there will arise a leader. And that leader will rule the world. And the, the first leader of that will be a raiser of taxes. So when Christ came the first time, a Roman dictator was in charge, Caesar Augustus. When he comes the second time, a Roman dictator will be in charge, the Antichrist. And if you want to trace that down, that's from Revelation 17, 8 through 12. When Christ came the first time, he appears secretly to believers only, the shepherds and the wise men. Later, he shows himself publicly at John's baptism. When Christ comes the second time, he comes first comes secretly to believers in the rapture. And second time, every eye shall see him. It's all a picture of what happens in those days. See, the rapture is the beginning of those days. The second coming is the end of those days. It all appears in those days. So at Christ's first coming, there is an international taxation. At his second coming, there'll be an international taxation. Now, let's go back to our text. And it shall come to pass, and those, by the way, this just so you know, razors of taxes are satanic. Okay, that's, that's what I got. Okay, let's go. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Well, that's an interesting verse. Syria. What does that have to do with Jerusalem and Israel and Bethlehem and Nazareth? Well, that was all a part of that kingdom of Syria at that time. What does that have to do with those days? Well, it's so interesting that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jacob is called a man of Syria. Isn't that interesting? So look with me at Deuteronomy 26, fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 26, 
man, you guys are doing good. I don't see anybody sleeping yet. On January 1st, Deuteronomy 26.5. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, Assyrian, ready to perish, was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation, great, mighty, and populous. So here Jacob is called Assyrian, a man of Syria, a man of Syria. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 8. So this is an image of a beast that Daniel has and then, then he, or that Belshazzar has, and he gives the interpretation of it. So Daniel has this vision. So look at verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, some of you are thinking, there's a horn and horns and another horn and all these horns. What are these? This bunch of trumpets? What is this talking about? Well, the image of the horn is just power. It's just power. And so these are kings. These are leaders. And there's one leader that rises up and he speaks great things. We're not going to take the time to go there, but if you go to Revelation chapter 13, the beast, he conquers people by speaking great words. He's a great orator. And I'm just telling you, most of the time when a politician is called a great orator, you know, my friends who are preachers are better orators than these politicians that are called great orators. You all know what I'm talking about? And um, yet, that's not going to be the case with the Antichrist. He's going to speak marvelous words. His words are going to be so persuasive. And if you want to get a good understanding of it, you need to YouTube speeches made by Adolf Hitler. It, it's unbelievable the way that he had power over those thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were there. And Adolf Hitler, in, in his communication ability... Nothing compared to what the Antichrist will be. Nothing. Now, it's really important that we see this. This little horn, he rises up. The Bible later, later tells us in Daniel chapter 9 that this is the one who sets up the image in the temple. Jesus called it a paraphrase of it, the abomination that maketh desolate. It's an abomination that causes desolation, destruction. That happened already. 175 B.C., there was a, a Syrian king, a Syrian leader. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, a Syrian. So when the Bible describes who is going to do the taxation and who is going to set up the abomination of desolation? It's Assyrian. In those days. Luke chapter 2. Let's go back. I could spend more time fleshing it out, but I don't want to lose you. 
Another thing that's very interesting, <clears throat> the, the Bible calls Judas the son of perdition. The Bible calls the Antichrist the son of perdition. Fascinating. Judas, he is Judas Iscariot. That means from Kerioth. Where is Kerioth? Syria. So, somehow, it does appear that the Antichrist will have some connection with Judaism and some connection with Syria. Is he going to be a Syrian or a Jew? Is he, I don't know. I'm still working on it. But there's a Syrian connection and a Jewish connection, and the Antichrist will have both in those days. Syria. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And look at what it says. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Do you see that in verse 9? The glory of the Lord. This is what Moses and the children of Israel saw on Mount Sinai. They saw it in the tabernacle. It's what the priests saw in the temple. Listen to what Matthew 4.16 says. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. So when Jesus Christ came in he, to the world, he brought light. Right? The glory of the Lord shone round about him. So you have the glory of God that appears, not all the glory of God, or the world would have been destroyed. Remember when Jesus reveals his glory in Revelation chapter 20, the earth and the heaven fled away, there's found no place for them. But here, the glory of the Lord is seen by these people. When Jesus Christ returns, what happens? When Jesus Christ returns at the second coming, it is as a bright and shining light. Listen to what Isaiah 58, 8 says. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. So the glory of the Lord is going to be everywhere when Jesus Christ returns. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. Then, listen to Isaiah 60 and verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. What does it say at the end of Malachi? The day star shall rise. The sun of righteousness is going to rise. What happens when Jesus Christ arises off of his Father's throne? His glory is going to be revealed. That is what happens in those days. Then, look at what it says. I love this part. Everybody, this is the part that's for you. Look at verse 10. And he said unto them, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. All people. Now, notice the clarity of this. Matthew, Jesus Christ, is presented as the king of the Jews. Listen to how he's presented in Matthew. Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, the Jews, from their sins. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Where's the Greek? Where's the Greek appear? That's Luke. So Luke chapter 2, look at verse 32. Look at verse 30 for the context. Luke chapter 2 and verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light 
To lighten who? Who is it? And the glory of thy people Israel. Remember Matthew, king of the Jews, Mark, suffering servant, Luke, the perfect man. That's to the Greek mind, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Now we have the revelation. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Do you know what this means? It means that we can be saved. Does it continue? What about John? This is Jesus reaches the woman at the well. She goes and tells people about the Messiah. Listen to their response. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Matthew, king of the Jews, save his people. Luke, the perfect man, to the Greek mind, you have the Gentiles. And now John, the Son of God. For God so loved the world. See, I'm glad that he's not just the Savior. I'm glad he's my Savior. He's my Savior. I I don't have to perform some physical rite. I don't have to join a particular race or ethnicity. I just have to believe in Jesus Christ, repent, and have faith. He's my Savior. Look at verse 11, Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, a Savior. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. He's Savior first and then Christ the King. So look with me, hold your place in Luke, go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. My hope is that you never look at the Christmas story the same way again. Hebrews chapter 7, look at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem... So remember, Jesus Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This character, Melchizedek, you'll see he's a very unique individual... Let's see what the Bible says about him. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So this Melchizedek, the Bible doesn't give us any lineage. We don't know who his father and mother were. So without father, without mother, without birth, that's Jesus, the everlasting one. That's a picture of Christ. And look at the way that he is described in verse 2. King of righteousness, king of peace. See, we can't have peace. You understand that if someone could bring peace to the world and economic prosperity, the world will worship him. But if one wants to come and bring righteousness, the world will kill him. You have to accept the righteousness before you can have the peace. He's got to be the Savior first. He came to die. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. A a body hast thou prepared me so that it could be whippable, pierceable, nailable. He had to have that. The second time he's coming back as king. And he is going to bring peace. How? 
by conquering all of his enemies. How many of you would love to have peace? Jesus Christ offers you peace now. But it can only come through righteousness, which you don't have. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. None. There's none. For a righteous man, one would scarcely die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The, the, The just for the unjust. Righteous for unrighteous. Listen, the world wants peace, but they don't want the Prince of Peace. We love him. We worship him. It's why we are gathered together. I also want you to notice something else in verse 11. So go back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. God is the only Savior. Christ is the Messiah. And the Lord is the Holy Spirit of God drawing us. This Trinitarian formula that we see all through the Bible, that's who we worship. That's who we worship. Verse 1, And it came to pass in those days. It came to pass in those days. Remember, for God, especially dealing with Israel, prophecy is pattern. Prophecy is pattern. Jesus Christ came in those days. Look at Galatians 4.4 and we'll be done. Galatians 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It's such an amazing thing. Jesus Christ saved me. And he didn't just save me from my sin. He's made me an heir and a joint heir with him. He's made me a son. But what did he, verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Look at this Trinitarian formulation, the same thing. Because you are sons, God, the Father, sent forth the Spirit, God the Spirit, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of his Son, Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, the Father, That happens now. What happens in those days? Worldwide tax. What happens in those days? A Syrian leader. What happens in those days? Jesus Christ returns. His glory is seen through the world. Isn't that amazing? In those days. Here's the number one question, though. 
Is he the Savior of the world? But is he your Savior? See, when he came to be the Savior of the world, that was so that you could be saved. Okay, let's all stand together. Really important that you get this as we finish. Don't miss this. Don't unplug. Really important that we get this. He came to be the Savior of the world. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, he provided salvation for every man, every person that will ever be born. He provided salvation for them. But that doesn't mean you have it. Here's what he did. Here's what he did. Come here, Ethan. Really important. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for Ethan. Amen? He didn't choose Ethan. What did he do? He paid his penalty. He was rendered. Ethan, when Jesus died, even though he hadn't been born yet, Ethan was rendered savable. None of us were savable if Jesus Christ had not died on the cross and risen from the dead. So Jesus didn't look down through eternity and say, Ethan can be saved, Sam cannot. I mean, that's what I would have done. But that's not what God did. He didn't say, Ethan can be saved, Sam cannot. What he said was, come here, Sam. Here's what he said. These young men, not yet born, can be saved. That's what Jesus brought. Thank you. You can be seated. One of the big things that America historically has provided is opportunity. Not a guarantee of success, but an opportunity for success. Amen? Not a guaranteed outcome. That's impossible. I mean, God could do it, but he didn't choose to do that. An opportunity. God, listen, he's not guaranteed that any of you would be saved from the foundation of the world. He guaranteed that all of you can be. Are you? Are you saved? If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Not the world. Not the Savior of the world. The Savior of Jim. The Savior of Ethan. The Savior of Sam. Is he your personal Savior? See, in the Old Testament, he's dealing with nations. In the New Testament, he's dealing with individuals. Individuals. Are you individually born again? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? If you have not, do that today. You're not promised a tomorrow. All that you have to do is acknowledge that he's God and that you are a sinner who deserves hell repent of that. What does that mean? It means to understand that your sin is taking you to hell and that you must believe that Jesus Christ is your only salvation. Your baptism won't save you. Your church membership won't save you. Your good works won't save you. Only faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, will save you. This isn't, this isn't a game yeah, we're here as a church. We're here having fun. We enjoy the music and we enjoy the Bible study. The whole purpose of Jesus Christ coming is so that we can be saved. Please receive him as Savior.
and tell others. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel.